Welcome to church. Whether you're in the room here in Mesa or you're joining us online, it's a great day to be in God's house, right? Any day that you're in God's house is a good day. Hey, we got some really exciting things happening here at Generation Church, and we want you to be a part of them. And it's not because we get anything from it, but because we really want what's best for you. Our next season of Life Groups is coming up starting the week of February 7th. And we know that Sunday morning is so important. We cannot neglect gathering together. We love coming together and worshiping together and learning from God's word. And it's always so encouraging to our souls. But we know that we need more than that. We need community. And we need godly community. And life groups is where we find this community. So if you've never been in a life group, this is your time. We have all different kinds of life groups. There's over 100 groups to choose from. So wherever you're at in life, whatever you're walking through, whatever your struggles are, I promise there's a group for you. We have a group called Alpha, where maybe you're not even sure if you actually believe this Jesus thing yet. Alpha is the group for you. You can go and ask any questions that you want. We have a group called Rooted, which is like Bible basics where you can learn all the different fund, fundama- uh, sorry, foundations of our faith. It's a great group if you're new to Christianity. We have groups for marriage building. I mean, there's some people here tonight that would probably say your marriage could get better, right? We have a veterans group. We have beautiful girl groups. We have groups that talk about the sermon each week. There's a group for you. So you can go on our app and look through all the groups, sign up. You will not regret being in godly community. It's important for your soul. You need it. So sign up for a life group. They start the week of February 7th. We also have an incredible, exciting announcement for you tonight. Over a year ago, we started our bold campaign. We started this vision of building a new building here in Mesa. And for us, it's it's never been about the building. We know that the building is important. We need a building. We live in Arizona, like we need air conditioning, amen? Anybody, amen? So it's never been about the building, but it's about the lives that are changed inside the building. And we have been growing rapidly. Over the last five years, we've been on the list of top 100 fastest growing churches in America every single year. And several times we've been the fastest growing church in Arizona. God is doing something incredible here and we want to make more room. This building, it's not just for us, right? It's not just for the people that already called Generation Church home. It's for the people who are not home yet. It's for the people that don't even live in Arizona yet. They don't even know they're moving here yet. But they're going to move here and they're going to need a life-giving church. And we're going to have room for them. So it's been a long process and 2020 made it even longer. But I am excited to announce that we finally have our permits from the city and the county. And we're ready to build. 
and we're going to start fast. We are having a groundbreaking ceremony on February 14th. It's time to build. At 345, we're gonna meet out on the dirt lot. There's gonna be big construction thingies out there. <laughs> we're gonna start moving dirt. And every single Sunday when you come to church after February 14th, you're gonna be able to see the progress. You're gonna be able to see the new parking lot. There's gonna be dust everywhere and it's gonna be awesome. So we're excited for this new season. 2021 is gonna be exciting as we see our dreams come to pass in the building of our new building. Are you excited, church? <laughs> Getting the county and the city to agree on building permits is nothing short of a miracle. But we're there, so let's build. Tonight we're continuing and finishing our sermon series on the book of Jonah. Have you enjoyed the sermon series so far? It's been so good. But maybe this is your first week here with us or you don't really know the story of Jonah. I'm going to start with a recap, just real quick. There's a guy in the Bible whose name was Jonah. And God called him to a, a city called Nineveh. And God wanted him to reach the people of Nineveh. But Nineveh was an incredible, wicked city. They were evil. And Jonah just didn't want to go there. So instead of obeying God, he ran in the opposite direction. And while he was running, he was on a boat and a storm came. And the sailors realized that Jonah was the problem. So they threw him overboard. Because what else would you do, right? And while Jonah is sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, God sends a big fish to swallow him up. This is a true story. This really happened. So Jonah's in the belly of this big fish, and he repents, and he says, God, I will obey you. So, of course, the whale pukes Jonah up. <laughs> Duh, obviously. And he lands on dry ground. And he finally obeys God. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches an eight-word sermon. And in Hebrew, it's just five words. A short sermon that basically said, repent or be destroyed. And after Jonah preaches this incredibly short sermon, 120,000 people repent, turn from their wicked ways, and give their hearts to God. This is one of the greatest revivals in history. And because they repented, God had compassion. And this is where we pick up our story tonight. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. What? This is amazing. This is an incredible story. We see this story and we're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Jonah obeyed. Yay. People were saved. Yay. I mean, can you imagine how Jonah felt in that moment? After he preached a really short sermon and 120,000 people were saved. I mean, if I were Jonah, I would have been like, I did it. Yeah. I'm awesome. 
Now, there's probably some more spiritual people in the room tonight that are like, no, 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 you're not awesome. God's awesome. Now, we, we know that this story is awesome. No matter where you fall, I'm awesome. God's awesome. Bottom line, this story's awesome. But Jonah doesn't really have the response that you would expect. I mean, really, nothing in this story is what we would expect. And if I were writing the Bible, I probably would have ended this story at the end of chapter 3. And for a really long time, I'm just being honest, I thought that the story did end at the end of chapter 3. Because I did not learn chapter 4 in Sunday school when I was growing up. But chapter 4 is in the Bible, so we need to know what it says. Let's see how Jonah responded to this situation. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. What? Now, before we go on, I just want to warn you. We're about to witness the biggest baby fit in the entire Bible. Verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. This is my favorite part. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. What? Jonah is actually upset that God showed compassion towards the Ninevites. He's actually furious about what happened. Can you believe that? He's mad. And it's easy for us to look down on Jonah. It's easy for us to say, how could he be upset with God for being compassionate? Didn't God show him compassion in the belly of the fish? Or maybe you're thinking, how could he be furious that 120,000 people turned to God? Wasn't he a prophet? Now, before we get too judgy up in here, I would argue that we are probably a lot more like Jonah than we would actually like to admit. Have you ever thought, God, how could you let this happen? Have you ever had the thought, God, it's not supposed to be this way? Have you ever said, God, I wanted you to do something different? Jonah wanted the Ninevites to pay for all the terrible things that they had done. He wanted them to be punished, not forgiven. And when you know how evil the Ninevites were, it's understandable. But God had a different plan. And we all have experienced a time in our lives when reality did not live up to our expectations. Am I right? This week, Ryan and I are celebrating our nine-year wedding anniversary. February 4th is our anniversary. Oh, look, it's our engagement picture. Aren't we adorable? 
But this week I was really thinking back on this time and all of the expectations and wants and hopes and dreams that couples have during this period of their life, right? I mean, you're in this season where so many things are changing and you're just so hopeful for the future. But if I'm being honest, when I was in this season, the engagement season, I wasn't really like looking to the future for with my future amazing husband. I was really just consumed with planning and expecting and dreaming about the perfect wedding. Because <laughs> girls, that's what we do. I mean, we dream about this day our entire lives. And so I'm in this process and I'm, oh, that's us. <laughs> this is us on our wedding day. But in the process of our engagement and we're planning and we're dreaming and I'm so hopeful and we finally get to our wedding day and it was almost perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect wedding. But it was almost perfect except I had the stomach flu. Yeah, it's true. I'm not making this up. I made it through the ceremony and then I started feeling a little queasy. <laughs> and so I'm running to the bathroom and I have this very vivid memory of all of my bridesmaids running into the bathroom before me trying to get paper towels. But it was one of those paper towel, towel dispensers that are like really slow. We just like wave and one. Wave and one, wave and one. So I'm like trying not to throw up in my wedding dress and they're frantically getting all these paper towels and holding them up against me so I can throw up on my wedding day. That's not what I expected. It's not what I hoped for. And it was definitely not what I wanted. But in the moment, I was not gonna let it ruin my wedding day. So I pushed on. But on this day, this is when you really start dreaming and hoping and expecting great things with your future spouse. And over the last nine years, I can honestly say it's been better than I expected. But I remember this one line that Ryan said in his vows. He said, we're going to build a life together with two to seven children. That's a quote. That's what he said. Two to seven children. And of course, in that moment, I thought, yeah, we are. We're going to build this beautiful life with beautiful kids, two to seven of them, somewhere in between. And it's going to be awesome. But on this day, standing at the altar, looking at my husband, I wasn't expecting the journey of infertility that God took us on for seven years. I wasn't wanting the path that God took us through to get to our perfect daughter. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I was hoping for. It's definitely not what I expected. We all have expectations and there's often a huge gap between our expectations, and our reality. Because we know that we do not always get what we want. We don't always get what we want. 
I expected to get that job, but I didn't. I wanted to stay married, but he left. I prayed to have kids, but I can't. So how can we overcome this disappointment that we feel when we don't get what we want? We really have three options. First, we could be like Jonah and we could get angry. God didn't do what Jonah thought was right and he became angry. Now, anger is an emotion that we have to be really careful with because it's not necessarily wrong to be angry, but it can be incredibly dangerous. Have you ever done something crazy because you were angry? Oh, don't look at me like you haven't. I know that you have. We all have. I remember when I was 13 years old and I decided that I wanted to have a spa day. I'd never been to the spa, but I was a princess, so I needed one. So I got everything ready. I had all of my beauty products laid out in my bathroom. And I knew from TV probably that spas, before you get a facial, there's steam. You need steam to have a proper facial. So I thought, I'm going to turn the shower on and let it run for 30 minutes. So it gets real steamy in here. And then I can give myself a facial. And I didn't want anybody to ruin my spa day. So I got everything ready and I walked out to our living room and I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I'm having a spa day. I'm going to let the shower run for 30 minutes so it gets real steamy. Don't turn the water off. And he looked at me straight in the face. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I am. I want to have a spa day. And he said, who's going to pay for that water? And I said, you are. You're the dad, and that's what dads do. And he said, no. And in that moment, the 13-year-old Amy lost her mind. <laughs> I had planned. I had prepared. I was expecting to have a great day. So I turn around and I storm off and I slam the bathroom door. But my dad wasn't responding how I wanted him to. So I picked up my little face mask packet, you know, the fancy one from Walgreens. And I storm out of the bathroom and I threw it at him. And I said, you're the worst dad ever. You won't let me have a spa day. And I had a complete meltdown because he wouldn't let me run the shower for 30 minutes, which is obviously a terrible idea. But I didn't get what I wanted, and I was angry. When you get frustrated, disappointed, hurt, your anger builds. And the next thing you know, you're yelling, you're ruining relationships, you're jeopardizing your job, you're making risky decisions because of anger. You want to know why we get angry? Because it takes less vulnerability to get angry than to admit you're disappointed. I'm going to say that one more time. It takes less vulnerability to get angry than to admit you're disappointed. And often, anger is just disappointment hidden behind a tough exterior. What you wanted to happen didn't happen. You're disappointed. 
and you get angry. Our second choice when we're not getting what we want is also like Jonah, you can become depressed. Depression is a common emotion that we experience when things don't turn out how we think they should. Psychology Today says that disappointment is an emotion that stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. A chemical response is triggered, which results in melancholy and a feeling of hopelessness. Hopelessness. This is not the Christian life. It's okay to feel disappointment, but it is not okay to feel hopeless. So we can feel angry, we can feel disappointed and depressed, or we have a third option. We can hold on to hope. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian life. This is the life that God wants for you. A life that's overflowing with joy and peace. Not anger, not depression, but hope. Hope. So how do we hold on to hope? How do we actually walk this out in our everyday life? Tonight we're going to talk about three things to understand when you're not getting what you want. Number one, God's interruptions are divine invitations. Jonah's life was interrupted by God. He was just living his life and God drastically changed his plans. And Jonah first, he was scared and then he was angry, but God was just inviting him to be a part of something greater. The only mention of Jonah before the entire book about him is one sentence in 2 Kings and it says this, 2 Kings 14.25 Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. This is the only mention of Jonah before God interrupted his life. Just a few small details about him. It's just background information. His name, his hometown, his religion, his job, his closest relative. He was just a footnote until God interrupted his life. Through an interruption, God used him to reach 120,000 people, to change an entire city. And we're still talking about him today because of an interruption. It makes me think about David. He's just a young shepherd boy. His plans for the day were just delivering lunch to his brothers on the battlefield. And while he was dropping off their cheese, God interrupted his life. He was faced with a giant, a giant that he defeated, and he saved a nation because of an interruption. Or what about Mary, the mother of Jesus? I mean, talk about an interruption. 
She was just a teenage girl waiting to be married. But because God interrupted her life and changed her plans, God used her to bring our Savior into this world. Before God interrupted their lives, they were just anonymous characters. And we definitely would not still be talking about them still today if he hadn't. But it's easy to misinterpret God's interruption as a disruption. And we can get scared or even angry like Jonah. But could it be, could it be that God interrupted your plans so that you could be a part of his master plan? His interruptions might catch you off guard. They might feel scary, but you should be way more scared about missing out on your calling. God's interruption is a divine invitation to a significant life. It's an invitation to live a life that matters and makes a difference. The second thing that we need to understand when we're not getting what we want is that God loves us enough to give us what we need, even if it's not what we want. And this makes me think about my sweet, precious little baby girl, Lila. She's 13 months old, and she has just discovered that she has opinions. And the girl definitely knows what she wants. The problem is 75% of the things that she wants would actually kill her. No, Lila, you cannot stick your finger in the socket. No, Lila, you cannot eat rocks or dishwasher pods. No, Lila, you cannot plunge headfirst off the couch to get to your toy. I know it's what you want, but it's not what you need. As her parent, it's my responsibility to give her what she needs, not what she wants. That's what good parents do. And God is our perfect father. He's our perfect father. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. And we see this perfectly in Jonah 4. See, because Jonah's pity party did not end after he yelled at God. Oh, he took it to a whole nother level. He was so disappointed. He was so angry with the situation that he marched himself outside of the city into the scorching hot desert and he made himself a little camp and he sat down to watch what God was going to do to Nineveh. It's like a little toddler that just marched themselves into the corner and is throwing a little fit. That's exactly what Jonah did. But God loved him enough to give him what he needed even in his moment of weakness. Look at this in Jonah 4, 6. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Even in the midst of Jonah's disappointment, in the middle of his struggle, in the middle of his incredibly bad attitude, God was there. God was still with him. Jonah was depressed and angry, and even though he was not in the right, God created a shelter for him. God provided for his needs. And this is a promise 
that we have. In Philippians 4.19, it says that God will provide for all of our needs. God is merciful and he cares about you exactly where you're at, even in your weakness. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. Look at this. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. When we're weak, God gives us the strength that we need. When we're scared, God gives us the boldness that we need. When we're doubting, God gives us the evidence that we need. And we all said amen to that, right? I mean, I think you could amen to that a little bit louder. We all said amen. It's easy to see God's goodness in this little plant that God arranged for Jonah. But sometimes we become stuck and we become complacent. And what we need is a kick in the pants. I only heard one amen to that. Watch this. Jonah 4 verse 7. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. It's like God said, hey, Jonah. Hey, buddy. I know you're having a bad moment, so I'm going to send you some shelter. I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to meet you in the hot desert of depression, but I'm not going to let you stay there. He sent the shelter when Jonah needed it, but the same God who sent the shelter took it away. Because there is a time for mourning and there's a time for rejoicing. There's a time to rest and there's a time to get to work. And God says, I'm going to comfort you when you are disappointed, but I am not going to let you roll up into a ball and die. Because he knows that's not what's best for you. Maybe you've been in a season of mourning, but it's time to get back to your calling. It's time to get up from your pity party and get back to your purpose. We like it when God provides comfort. But we don't always like it when he pushes us out of our comfort zone. Some of you might be in a season of feeling restless, uncomfortable, unsatisfied. And it could be that God intentionally took away your comfort and satisfaction to push you out of your comfort zone and towards your purpose. He's so loving. Yes, loving. He's so loving that he doesn't just give us what we want. He gives us what we need. Psalm 145, 17. You are fair and righteous in everything you do. And your love is wrapped into all your works. God is working in your life. He's moving and he's going to show you his love as he works your pain into purpose. The third thing that we need to know when we're not getting what we want is that when God's desire is different than our desire, 
we need to change what we desire. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure you can think of a time when you prayed for something and God didn't give it to you. We all can, right? And sometimes we don't get what we want because God has a better plan. Sometimes we just have to sit back and trust him, be patient, and know that he has something better. But sometimes we don't get what we want because we want the wrong things. Verse 8. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this. I mean, can you believe this guy? (laughs) Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Here in this passage of scripture, we see God's heart. We see that God loves people. God loved the people of Nineveh, even though they were wicked, even though they were evil. He desired to have a relationship with them. And Jonah desired the exact opposite. He wanted them to be punished and die. Jonah's heart was not aligned with God's heart. The same mercy that Jonah celebrated inside the fish, he resented when Nineveh repented. Isn't it amazing how we love to receive God's grace, right? We love to experience his mercy. Oh God, you're so good to me. Your mercies are new every morning. But we don't always celebrate when he shows grace and mercy to the people we perceive as our enemies, do we? People who we think are wrong, or maybe people who hurt us, people we disagree with, or maybe we just think they're actually evil. Maybe they're from a different background, or they have different opinions, or they're from a different political party. But we need to remember that God loves them too. We need to remember that Jesus died for them too. And we also need to remember that at one point in time, we were God's enemies too. God loves everyone. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're declaring that I am putting aside my desires, I'm putting aside what my heart wants, and I'm aligning my heart with God's. If your number one goal in life is to get what you want, eventually you're going to become angry, disappointed, or depressed. Because at a certain point, God can't give you what you want if your desires aren't aligned with his. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. We're naturally sinful people. We naturally have desires that are sinful and selfish. 
And the truth is, we cannot just trust our own emotions all the time. We cannot always trust our own thoughts, our own desires, because our hearts are deceitful. When you became a Christian, you gave God permission to change what you want, to align with what he wants. I think sometimes we forget what we signed up for. And sometimes we need to be reminded that God is not a genie in a bottle. He is not our fairy godmother in the sky just waiting to grant all of our wishes. He's God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows what we really need, and he knows what is really good. 1 Peter 4.2. So live the rest of your earthly life no longer concerned with human desires, but consumed with what brings pleasure to God. If you want to live a life of joy, if you want to live a life of satisfaction, you have to start by saying, okay, God, I'm here. Whatever you want, whatever your will, whatever your plan, whatever your purpose, that's what I want to. When we do this, we can truly live our lives free from disappointment, free from anger, because we know that no matter what happens, God is going to work it together for our good. This is a promise to us, and we can trust him. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I love this scripture in the Passion Translation. Listen to this. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. But it doesn't stop there. It's woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. So today, if you're in a place where you're not getting what you wanted, you're confused about how things are turning out, or you're feeling angry about how something played out in your past, you need to remember that if it's not good, God's not done. And you can stand on that promise and on that truth. Tonight, we need to realize that God could be interrupting our plans to invite us into his master plan. Maybe you're here tonight and you're dissatisfied with where you are in life. It could be that God has sent your dissatisfaction to nudge you towards your divine function. If you're hurting tonight, if you're disappointed tonight, God cares about you. He cares about your trials. He cares about your burden. He cares about your pain. But he loves you too much to leave you in a place of hurt. And it's time to change your perspective and realize that God can use your pain to push you towards your purpose. 
We all go through seasons where we don't get what we want. It's just part of life. Situations don't turn out how we thought they would. And in those seasons, we don't need to pray for God to change. We need to pray for God to change us. God loves us too much to give us what is not good for us. Maybe God didn't give you the job you asked for because he has a better one lined up for you. He doesn't want to help you get out of a bad marriage. He wants to heal your marriage. He doesn't want to help you get even with someone who hurt you. He wants to help you get over the person who hurt you so you can experience forgiveness. And he might not take away the cause of your pain. But he is going to use your pain to lead you into your purpose. Maybe you've been facing a situation that up till now has left you disappointed, depressed, or angry. You're not alone. But it reminds me of the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is a guy who did not always get what he wanted. And sometimes he was asked to walk a really difficult path. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by poisonous snakes. No, thank you. He was unjustly imprisoned multiple times. He was abandoned. He even asked God for healing and God said no. But after all of this, after everything that he had walked through, he was able to say in Philippians 4.11, for I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. In any circumstance. Paul knew that God was good. Paul knew that he could trust him completely. He had his heart aligned with God's heart and he was satisfied in any circumstance. I'm here tonight to tell you that this can be your reality too. You can be satisfied in any circumstance, no matter what is going on, because you know Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can experience hope, joy, and peace every moment of every single day. No matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're facing, whether you're at the bottom of the ocean or in the belly of a fish, God is with you, he has a plan, and he is working everything together for your good. Can we pray tonight? Oh God, we love you. We're so thankful that you're always with us. We're so thankful that you care about us. And God, tonight, you know every single situation represented. And Lord, we know that you're working in the midst of every situation. So tonight I pray that as your followers, Lord, that we would be able to experience your hope, your joy, your peace in the midst of it all. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to align our desires with your desires. Lord, that we would turn to you and we would be able to confidently say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever your will, that's what we want to. God, we trust you. We know that you are good. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.